What is going on? Alright, I'm talking, I'm talking, I've got a feeling you're going to get memed off the butt with whatever you're doing to me right now. You can throw that right in the beginning. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, off to a good start. Yep, yep. All right, I'll do the little the, the, the intro here, and let's get cracking on some... We're recording, right? Crack. Crack's bad. Definitely after watching that video, man. <laughs> So, anyways, all right, everybody, we are here. It is July the 8th-ish, and this is another episode of Wood, Air, and Metal podcast. Adam Keeler over here, Tim Mirth through the Ethernet on the other side with his glass of, I'm going to say water, but you never know. Never and know. Uh, yeah, Especially with his wily devices on what he just did to me, which you probably <laughs> will find out shortly in terms of uh, the, the brief intro. What are you that doing to me? Help! Help! <laughs> oh man, I, I knew it too. I could just tell by the way you were laughing hysterical as I was talking. I'm like, he's got some stupid filter on me, and he's just he's having a blast over there. Oh man! The funny yeah. thing, <laughs> he's still losing it over the whole thing. <laughs> oh, the funny man. thing is, you think it's fixed. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be the whole podcast of tim and mini me the entire time I'm like help help oh god that would that would be a classic one <laughs> i almost believe you that it's not fixed that you still have it on just because of how hard you're laughing but you'd be doing it a little bit more through the whole thing if uh, it was legit doing that. <laughs> oh my god, that that's classic, absolutely classic. Ugh. Yeah, wow. basically, basically, what we find is if you actually record in anything more than forty-eight k, <clears throat> which I was recording today for Tall Trees Project that I'm working on, and uh, yeah, and then it just messes up Zoom. <laughs> Oh yeah, yep, absolutely, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Which unfortunately, like you can't, like I switch it, and then it doesn't really like get it, so you have to like restart the computer. So there's some other weird, at least I do. Yeah, I, when I did it, I just had to change it in the interface, change it down to 48k, like on, on the software, and then it was yeah. fine. But I actually did something. And all the other audio guys will knock on wood when I mention this. I upgraded my operating system without a problem the other day. I am nice. thoroughly impressed with that. Not because I don't trust Apple's upgrading. I just work in audio, like anybody that works in audio. And when it's working, it's like, don't look at it funny. Don't touch it. Everything's fine. <laughs> and you just don't move. So I've been on Mojave, which is like a couple of years old, because everything was running great. Yeah. And I didn't want and then uh, I did some digging and, you know, the standard thing is like, is everything going to work with Big Sur? I'm a couple of years behind. And I mean, honestly, the audio file in me really wanted to do the upgrade so I could access Apple Music and increase the bit rate and everything through the, these headphones, which that was worth it. 
absolutely <laughs> worth the risk. Now, granted, I backed everything up first. You know, I did a carbon copy of the hard drive, so if anything happened, I could just slap it back on and be literally to the minute right back to where I was. But we're, we're cruising pretty good. But good Lord, that uh, having those lossless options on the, the, the with Apple Music and going through the... You, it said when I upgraded the, the lossless options to the top tier, it's like, make sure you have a, DA, a digital audio converter <laughs> or you, this won't work. And I'm like, sweet, I got one. That's what the, yeah, the interface right. does that. So not a problem there. And uh, just um, running it through that and the big knob and the headphone amp. And it was it was just surreal. I, nice. I couldn't get over how good it sounded. <clears throat> yeah, That reminds it, me, this, this morning when I, I did like a security update, so Windows patch Tuesday, you know. They do security yeah. updates. And uh, mine did it last night, I guess. Anyway, since Thursday. <clears throat> and I, I started this computer, and it was like, welcome to Windows. And it did like the <laughs> little set. I'm like, I really hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like, have that red. Uh, but it was fine. I, I don't know why it went to that screen. but To scare the crap out of you? Because I guess. Or- I was like, oh, man. I'm like, where did I save everything? <laughs> like, can I get to it? Yeah, exactly. That, uh, those are the thoughts. Uh, outside of the existential dread of, oh, my God, I just lost all that information. You know, yeah. when you see that, uh, what, no, 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 no. I just need it to work. That's all. I want my stuff back. Uh, that's like when I lost those Pro Tools sessions. That was just, like, unbelievably gut wrenchingly devastating i'm like are you serious like <laughs> i still had uh, the good news was is i still had all the master like the original recordings because i recorded them in logic oh, that's that, so you had in, all uh, the audio files at least i had all the audio files but all the editing work yeah that, that mix sucked anyway <laughs> let's 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 keep telling myself that that that'll make me feel better it was a lousy mix and i didn't know what i was doing so think yeah. how much better it was in the end yeah. well it's definitely better now um I think I'm at a f- place where I'm finally familiar enough with Studio One where it's becoming second nature with everything, and I can almost start to take off all of my uh, Studio One button keys type of thing. But I kind of I, I like them at the same time. It's like, oh, okay, in case I have a weird command. It's like, oh, yeah, there it is. Click. Got it. So anyways, so we have a super Omega topic that is going to go pendulum all over the place because two-step violin uh, – brought this to our attention, which they're great. If you haven't heard of them, there's two violinists, obviously, well, a violist and a violinist, and uh, they just, they're, they're total music nerds, and it's absolutely great to hear them do their thing, and they're funny. You know, they talk about the struggles of being a classical musician, and musician in general, but they're both classical guys. And uh, anyways, they did a video on music school and the current things that are going on at Juilliard, which, uh, if you don't know what Juilliard is, Juilliard is one of the top music schools on the planet, and they charge a whop. What was it like? They charge. I think it was fifty k, or it was like fifty k for tuition. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, like to another twenty thousand for room and board. Right. Uh, And then they decided to up that to like a year. A year, yes, mind you, a year. And they decided to update that or uh, uh, increase that to like fifty eight thousand. after yeah, I think it get- was like they <clears throat> they went from like forty eight to like fifty two, and then uh, the room and board went from like seventeen to twenty five. Yeah, it was just it was huge, something like a fifteen sixteen percent. Yep, increase. Yep, 
And then, uh, so the, the students, uh, or at least a group of students did a, a sit-in or some type of protest. Yeah. And they got in trouble for it, um, which uh, is kind of just like... And, and they even tried to like lock them in and then lied about it. Yeah, exactly. That's the nice thing about cell phones now. It's like, I'm recording everything that's going on. Dope. Never mind. Let's unlock the doors and everything else. And yeah, that, uh, you know, and I liked the two sets approach with it because they were really like, you know, well, maybe there was more information that we're missing and stuff like that. Like towards the end, they're like, honestly, it just looks really, really bad for the school. <laughs> and it does look really, really bad for Juilliard. You know, at a time when, you know, everything went to hell, they decided to increase the prices uh, a lot. Yeah, a, there was a lot of things too, right? Like, yeah, uh, re, like, yeah, like they had a billion dollar endowment, billion. right? One like two or three years ago, yep, which was supposed to be used allegedly for tuitions and all kinds of stuff, right? Bill yep. billion dollars, and we're talking yep. Juilliard. What does Juilliard have? Like a thousand students? I mean, I, I, it can't be that much. I, yeah, mean, I mean, like that'd be the most, right? I mean, like yeah. it's it's not a massively large school, and it's probably half that. We could probably look it up, but either way, um, yeah, and then they basically said, well, it's for inflation, but inflation's more, you know, more or less 3%, and it went up 15%. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and then I think, the, like the what did they say, like the president pulls in like $1.5 million or something a year? Yeah, something like that. <clears throat> Yeah, nine hundred and thirty nine in twenty sixteen. So it, it'll probably yeah. Be so about a, less less than thou, a thousand probably. Yep, and that's including PhD and master students, I imagine, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. All right, so everything the average annual cost before aid is sixty eight thousand nine hundred and sixty eight dollars. That's not including that was last year. This uh, that is. Uh, it doesn't have a date for what I'm looking at. It's just okay. basically came up in the Google search uh, when I searched for student population. So it said 939. Um, after student aid is 30, uh, 29,511, somewhere in there. Uh, aid includes grants and scholarships for this institute, blah, 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 blah. And then, yeah. So they, they have a boatload of aid, but at the same time, there's no way that a 15% increase is warranted. <clears throat> That. And granted, I, I don't sit on the administrative end of things, but that's that's a huge freaking jump. Huge. Yeah, and you know, like it's not going to the teachers. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it, it has the yeah. No kidding. It also has a split. Four hundred and eighty-six are in undergrad, and three hundred and fifty-four are graduate students. Right. So, like, I mean, it's a relatively small school. A yep. billion dollars at a 1. school 5 with billion. One point five. <clears throat> think think about. Any small school you know, <laughs> yeah, in your area, a billion dollars would last how long? I mean, just a billion that would last a hundred years. I don't know. Like a billion dollars is a lot of money. Yes, no kidding. Especially, uh, all right. So we have. Let's pull out the grand calculator here. So nine hundred and thirty-nine students. Let's say a thousand students. Wait, 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 wait. Before you, before you do that, <clears throat> this just to give this is a great thing, right? Okay. okay, so say you made $10,000 a day. How many days would it take you to get to a million dollars? Since you got a calculator out, you make $10,000 a day. $10,000 a day. 
a day. You make $10,000 a day. Okay. How long does it take you to get to a million? How many days? So take a, take a million divided by 10,000. There we go. A hundred days. So a hundred days. So three months, right? Okay. Now how about a billion? You make $10,000 a day. How long does it take you to get to a billion? (laughs) That's going to be a big number. Um, so a billion, that's a million. Oops. Got to turn this calculator sideways. There we go. 1 billion divided by 10,000. 100,000. 100,000. So, and then if you divide that by 365 to tell you how many years. (laughs) 273. So, so if you made $10,000 a day for 273 years, you could make a billion (laughs) dollars. Or you could make a million in three months. Like this is yeah. the difference between a million and a billion. It's yeah, exactly. Insane how much money a billion dollars is. I remember somebody saying it was Anthony Robbins of all things. I, he was on some podcast I had, but he was like going through like this is ten. This is a thousand dollars. This is ten thousand dollars, and he yeah. did it with seconds. He was like a thousand seconds ago was like the same day. Ten thousand is like the week before. Right. A million is like a couple of years. A billion is like. 15th century right <laughs> you know and a trillion is before humankind even existed on the planet you know some type of scale like that yeah to kind of like give like a, a sense of scale yeah, it's really hard because you're like oh a billion that's just a little more than a million like that tends to be like the uh, way we think oh yeah what's a billion you know we... <clears throat> yeah anyway. it, it, you could make anyway. ten thousand dollars a day for 200 and not spend a cent of it <laughs> yep and it would take you 273 years to make a billion dollars Yep. Now, according to my Apple calculator, <laughs> so we got, uh, so there's, say we got a thousand so times, so it's $68 million a year to cover everybody for free, just in general. Oh, Let's yeah. just say that every single one of them. So basically, you took a thousand people, it's $68,000. Okay. And that's, I, I don't believe that this is covering room and board. So that'd be another twenty million on top of that. So eighty-eight million a year. So that's still ten years or, or fifteen years of complete coverage of tuition and everything with that one point right. five billion. Well, so, what's a return? So if you had a billion and a half dollars and you made what five percent a year on interest, it'd be five million a year. No, it's way more than that. A billion is a thousand million. It'd be fifty million a year. So it'd be seventy-five million in interest. You could make off that money, right? This is where our math and finance skills are are, are showing us. Yeah, maybe we're getting super stick, mathy, right? Stick to the music, guys. This isn't working really well. So, because five percent of a hundred million would be five million. So five percent of a billion would be fifty million. In 1.5, that'd be 75 million. So basically, what yeah. you're saying is, you could give free room and board, just living off the interest of that billion and a half mm-hmm. endowment. Oh yeah, no kidding. Yeah, with that calculation, it never, it never drops. It'll just stay a billion and a half forever. Yeah, 
Most, if you can get 5% return. Yeah, if you get a billion and a half, you probably get like 12% return. And hopefully, one would hope. You get to change the rules when you have that much money. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, that's – so anyway, so they increased it, and the students were protesting because for uh, the pretty clear reason, at least in the, the thinking of like, why is this going up? What are we getting from it? You know, what what are the reasons? And they quoted inflation, which as far as we know, so far inflation is not out of control. It's still – moving up but it ain't 15 percent inflation there's no doubt about that um so this increase you know and and tim made the good point uh, of that it's like it's probably not going to the teachers which <laughs> to an extent i could i kind of agree that it's probably not you know if in, in a perfect world it would go to the teachers and the students <clears throat> you know we'd all be happy and practicing all the time <laughs> and everything else but the um the underlying it's you know, that is, it's just, uh, anyways, so their discussion, uh, two steps discussion of this was pretty good. I, if we can find a link to it, we'll put it up on the uh, site. If so remember. You can yeah. Check it out. yeah, if we remember to. But I think that started, but that started me and Tim uh, on a, a, a message thread of like, is it worth that much? Like, is the school, going to school at Juilliard, is it going to be that much? Are you going to come out making that much money to even think about covering the law. Um, yeah, so I mean so Juilliard, right? It used to be and I use that used to be um the place to go, right? It was like it's like mm -hmm. you go to New York, you go to Juilliard and you become somebody. You know, that was the reputation that preceded it. Mm -hmm. And and some of that was <clears throat> I'm not sure how much competition it had in a way. But it certainly had all the ends to like the big orchestras and you know the right people. And I'm sure it helped to be in New York City. And oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. You, you got a network that <clears throat> was you know hard to beat. You know, and it probably was worth what it cost them, which was significantly less than now. Um, but that's also to, just to kind of the the other thing is like 1.5 billion is a lot, but. The expenses in New York are. Could you imagine what the rent on the buildings would be? Yeah, I hope they own them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I hope so too. And I'm not, you know, I'm I'm kind of playing a little bit of devil's advocate, but the uh, I can't imagine the rent being cheap. And if they if they do own them, great. You know, the taxes are probably still going to be high. Right. Well, York, even with a billion and a half dollars, if they don't own them, they should have just bought them. Yes, at this point, it's time to buy them. Take the yeah. endowment and do it. And it also depends on how the endowment like gives it to the school because sure. it could just be locked in and only used for particular things. That was part of the thing with the, the problem with the University of Akron when they got the stadium built because everybody was pissed. They're like, why are you throwing all this money into a shit football team? Sorry, Akron, but it's just true. <laughs> and uh, they, you know, you're building this gigantic stadium that literally nobody goes to. Nobody goes to these games or anything like that. Um, it's like, well, what the hell? You could have used that to pay teachers, lower tuition, upkeep. Oh, I don't know anything on the school grounds. Right. Um, and it basically came out that the donation of that money was only allowed to be for that. Like the person that gave it is like, this is for the stadium and that's right. it. Which kind of sucks from an administrative point of view. It's like, sweet, we have, damn it. You know, and now you have good like, news. We just got a hundred million dollars. Bad news it's we for a baseball all, field. Exactly. It's like you can only use it for one thing, and then you're stuck with all 
the upkeep, which clearly is not going to be cheap in that level of facility, and all the other things that go, go entails with that. And it's like that's one of those gifts where it's like, thank you. I think like they don't even have like a sound system there, so you can't even like host concerts, which to me was absolutely dumbfounded. I'm like. God, if you could even bring in like some bigger acts there, you could at least bring in some money, but there, there's nothing. So um, anyway, so that's like the, the conundrum with endowments is that even though there's a big number attached to it, it doesn't necessarily mean that that person that's giving that or whatever situation is going to be like, yeah, use it for anything that you need. They they can be total jerks about it and, or whatever, however they're thinking about it. And it's just specified for one thing. Yeah. And that... Uh, is clearly a problem in terms of being able to be flexible and be able to really help everything out. So I get where the students are coming from completely. And I mostly 99% agree with the, what the hell type of thing. And I, but I can also see it the other side of like, well, you know, they kind of locked us in. So they put handcuffs on it, uh, gold plated handcuffs, you know, so we so can't. That, that was a great point. I thought by two's set, which was, you know, when you go to college, they're like, hey, it's $20,000 a year when you start. And then the next year, they're like, oh, we bumped it up to twenty five. Yeah. The next year, oh, we bumped it up to thirty. Oh, yeah. sorry, next year, we bumped it up to fifty. Mm-hmm. Oh, and if you leave, then you can't get your degree. You know, yeah. so they, they, they kind of sucker you in. Like, <clears throat> their thought was, why don't you just say, hey, you're starting today. This is the rate you're going to get for the next five years. You know, how is it fair to change it every year? You know, yep. and you don't have That's- any say and you and they make it so difficult to transfer and people won't take certain credits. There's like there's all kinds of like BS that goes on oh, in yeah. schools. Absolutely ludicrous. <clears throat> I mean, I get the idea of having some formal standard, but there, I, I actually I'm going to back it up a little bit. I don't think there is a complete formal standard for transferring credits because no, there's not. Not. And that's the, the problem is that depending on where you're going, some place will take more credits than other places. Right. That's ridiculous. This with like a, a friend of mine that's a massage therapist. And she was like, yeah, when I tried to go to school, it's like this one school would take all of them and the other school wouldn't take any and or like it would take some of them and then another school wouldn't take any. So I had to pick and I went to the school that took some of them because they had the program that I wanted to go into. So right. it's... Um, it's absolutely ridiculous. The yeah, amount I noticed too, like, um, like I know somebody who was doing a master's degree and they had to stop, you know, for over five years. So yeah, then so the college just says, well, those, those credits are no longer good anymore for five years ago, but their bachelor's degree is fine. Right. The classes they took then count, but the ones they, because they didn't finish, they're saying you have to take those classes again. And they weren't like the kind of classes they like get updated every year. It's like, yeah, like they the don't change. They never change. They're the same class, probably the same teacher that there was 20 years ago with the same material. You know, like why do you have to take it again? It's just money, money grab. To an extent, that's absolutely what it is. Like the, and I get what you're saying about like those classes weren't one that changes every year. Cause you know, there are some things in the field, whatever field you're in that yeah. is, constantly on the cutting edge you need to music's be not one of them <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> unless it's like electronic or something yeah you, which you, you, by the I, way most colleges really stink at that anyway no exactly they have no right to be teaching electronic anything 
music. I I completely agree. It's a different thing. Because like the kid down the street that's like 14 knows more than the PhD (laughs) teaching the class. (laughs) So the, uh, anyway, so the um, underlying thing of that, like mentality of we have to keep like the, the, these credits die after certain things. And those are for the the classes that are always going to be there. Like if you're getting a master's degree, you got to do your research class. You got to do like, yeah. oh, uh, to an extent, bullshit classes to just take your money. You know, if I'm going to school for classical guitar performance, I shouldn't really need to do a ton of research, like formal research. I'm not going to, I, I don't plan on writing papers. I plan on, playing the instrument you know that was my logic with that um and i did take that class and that class was interesting to say the least i would argue with the teacher uh, constantly and it was clearly a grad student that was teaching it and yeah. <laughs> even like a guitar teacher at so the your point. your master's degree program you had a grad student teaching one of your classes yeah and that's that i i think it was, she was a phd student teaching a master's level thing, which makes sense. You know, it's just, uh, that's part of the thing. And it was a research class. It wasn't like, you know, something. Uh, yeah. Still, re- it's kind of like you pay so much money. They, that's another, they should give you a discount. Like, it's fine if they want to like prep a master's degree or PhD student to teach something. That's Maybe that's part of the program. Well, then the mm. class is a tenth of the price. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to an extent, that would be... Uh, a great idea because it would be value based on what you're right. going to get out, and especially if you're getting somebody that's never taught before, which <clears> is right. like, oof. All right, and everybody's got to start somewhere with teaching. I totally get that. I completely get that because I was yeah, there. But now when you're paying five it, grand a class or whatever, exactly right there. That's where it's like, given the level of uh, money that you're putting into it. Throwing somebody that has no teaching experience into it is kind of devaluing that one devaluing yeah. the class and so on. And it just kind of sets up the the relationship to dollar value for what you're getting is completely inverted. You know, you're getting a lot of garbage for paying out the butt for it. Um, uh, and don't get me wrong. Some of these teachers are naturals at it and can pick it up right away. Uh, others, not so much. You know, it takes some time to get into it, you know. Um, but fundamentally, like this whole that two set thing started us going on about the cost of schools and everything, everything related to that. And then talking about, like, is it even worth going to school at these levels with these costs just for music? Like Juilliard used to and, and it still does carry a reputation to the further you get out from the the, the haughty toddy Juilliard mentality. Right. Like in the sense of like the lay person, you drop the name Juilliard, they're going to know what it is. Their branding is is huge. It, it has that reputation to it. Um, and they clearly produce top players. There's no doubt about that. They really do get, get some phenomenal players. But then you have other institutions like Curtis, which has got the same type of reputation. Not as big in the sense of you can't drop it to somebody that's not in music and they'll go, oh, yeah, I know that. It's like, what the hell is that? Yeah. And non-musi- it is a rel- non-musicians don't know it, yeah. Yeah, but it's a relatively small school outside of the Philadelphia. I think it's only 100 people. 174, just look oh, it up. Oh, you did it, okay. came up with the Juilliard and everything else, like uh-huh. the top right. schools and their populations. So, And that's like 2016, so you know that's five years old. It could probably be 250 now. Either way, if you're in Curtis, it's covered. Yeah, totally free. 
That's just yep. part of the sh- spiel, right? Yep. I know a friend of mine, more of a well, I guess I could call him a friend. Is is going there? I did a, his album when he was sixteen. He won twenty thousand dollars in classical guitar competition money and recorded his first album, and it was absolutely disgusting. <laughs> like it, he was brilliant, like absolutely brilliant. But he came in for one session, and he had like those Savarez that have that weird gritty coating on them. Yeah, on the strings, I, I forget what they're called, but they, they sound like crap. Like they sound like you're just taking sandpaper and rubbing it on the string every single time you're playing a note. And he played That's how the you get good at him. Apparently, because this kid came in and he nailed the aquawell in like two takes, and the takes weren't a matter of fixing a mistake. It was like eh, I think I can do it better. Boom. And then I'm listening to it later on that night, and I'm like, God, it's just too scratchy. So I called him, like, dude, change your strings. Coming tomorrow, can you replay it? Boom. Like nailed it <laughs> without a problem. And I'm like, God, what am I doing with my life? I'm watching kids play masterworks without a problem. No, it was cool, and he was a great kid, a phenomenal player, and a really cool guy. Even yeah. now, I ch- chat with him occasionally. Um, but uh, yeah, so he's going to Curtis, and he, Jason Vio teaches at Curtis. That's his other uh, spiel besides CIM and touring. Well, now he's actually now back and touring all over the place. That's starting to open up again. Yeah. Um, the uh, the um, so that you got Curtis, which is kind of the antithesis of Juilliard. Where Juilliard, you're kind of paying out the butt for the reputation. Curtis has an incredible reputation among musicians and is free, but it's clearly a little bit more competitive because of the student numbers. Yeah, are it's hard to get in. Well, yeah, really hard to get in. But, yeah, I don't uh, think getting into Juilliard is, is is what it used to be. No, um, well, I mean, it got a seven percent acceptance rate. So. At Juilliard. That's what it, at least 7%, 7%. You know, I remember, so I moved to New York City when I was 19 and I didn't know anything, right? I came from small town America and I was 19. I went to music school for a year, um, decided I was actually going to transfer to Berkeley, but then I didn't want to pay that much for it. <laughs> Again. One of the- um, I th- it just seemed like, why would I do that? And I, I could, I had a teacher who was basically like, why they, it's not worth paying the money. Just go study with the people you want to kind of thing. Yeah. Which, and that's where we were which actually I would take that advice, but the problem is I already had student loans. <laughs> it was like, I was already getting like crippled by the whole system, even only going for a year. And I had yep. scholarships, but yep. I digress. Um, anyway, I remember thinking, you know, like when you move, you hear about New York city when you're a kid and if, if you're not from there and maybe if, even if you are, it's like, Oh, you know, if you can make it in New York City and and you can, uh, you know, Juilliard, blah blah blah. Um, you know, these it's such a high reputation. But I've I've met quite a few Juilliard grads in my day, mm-hmm. and I've just never been all that impressed, really. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's and a, I don't the- mean that. And like, I, it's not that they weren't fine musicians or whatever, but they weren't like really any better than anywhere else. So it wasn't like I was like, well, this is a clear level imp- improvement. Okay. I mean, you find out a lot of times there's a lot of like legacy stuff, like their grandpa went there or something, or you know, their parents are both in the Boston Symphony or something. You know, so yeah. it's like it, it's a lot of those kind of things. You know, you get, um, and then they're the they're the high school music teacher that went to Juilliard or whatever. Um. Which nothing wrong with that. It's just yeah, yep. it, it wasn't like wow, th- 
this is what I'm really should be shooting for. <laughs> you know, I, I just remember reading like, it was kind of a disappointment actually. That was just in New York city in general. There was a couple of those where I remember thinking like, you have to be so good to get a gig in New York city. But like that's the opposite of the truth. Like, you really, <laughs> like, there's certain places. Yeah. I'm not going to play the village Vanguard. Yeah, you know, yeah. Without being somebody or being a certain level of good, or you're not going to play in the New York Philharmonic or Carnegie hall, but like getting gigs in New York city is not particularly difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's plenty of really, 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 really bad bands playing every night. And I'm sure there's playing right now. I'm like mm-hmm. just not good at all. So there, anyway, I, I don't know why I mentioned that is a lot of times we have this like perception of these places is being so grand they sort of like exist beyond our imaginations. And we just think, Oh, if we could only get that, you can make it there. You can make make it. We'd make it anywhere. Yeah. You make it in New York, you make it anywhere. Um, so I think Juilliard falls firmly into that trap. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, uh, and I think that's a multifactorial problem though. It's not just like the, reputation of Juilliard and then you're going to come out and get all these connections and make all this stuff. The other thing too, is that, you know, if to kind of bring us back to the old discussion of like Instagram and the level of playing that uh, where things are at things, I think to an extent, you know, with the availability of online instruction, that's just floating all over YouTube. You can get in touch with pretty much any master player now. And if you have them, you can get a lesson from them. It's just, you know, well, it's significantly cheaper than going to Juilliard. Yeah, well, duh. <laughs> so maybe not. Well, you know, even weekly, if it's a hundred bucks a week, you figure you know, twenty. What was the two set guy was talking about? How he went around and got some lessons um, from like world class players. You remember? Yep. Did you catch that part? And he's uh, like, one of them. He said the worst one actually was about what was it? What do you say? Like four hundred dollars an hour or something? <laughs> like it was crazy. But even at four hundred dollars an hour, if you got a lesson every week, like it's significantly less. Yeah, than going to Juilliard. It's well, if like, your ten weeks of lessons is four grand, which is about a semester, right. so you're spending eight thousand uh, dollars for the nine months of lessons, right. which is uh, almost ninety percent less than going to the school, uh, and that's almost out of pocket. Like that's something where if like you were working, say you'd probably in order to keep the practice level up and still be able to afford that and eat, you'd probably work at least twenty to twenty five hours a week doing something. You know, to be able yeah, to afford- more than minimum wage, though, right? Yeah. But, oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, it, it, but that it still it would give you the flexibility to take like a week off here and there if things that weren't up to yeah. snuff. So there's a big advantage of that, and that led us to to go back to what we were talking about earlier. It led us down that whole pathway of is music school worth doing in the sense of the music school right. and i think we're both coming at it from the same perspective as like you know in retrospect in hindsight i would be like you know what i'd just get lessons for four years or whatever yeah, you know ten years. Uh, or what or something like that you know yeah. the, the, the only thing that i could see it being more valuable it, for the school setting is that you get the history and the theoretical stuff all at the same time now yeah, that being said though you could always just go and get theory lessons or if you're interested in music history buy the books 
<laughs> and read them, you know, you don't necessarily need to be tested on it as much as you uh, have that, you know, now that I've pissed off all the theoretical professors and music well, historians. Well, the thing is, like, there's nothing in theory you couldn't learn on your own, even. Yeah. That, I mean, I would say, I'd, I'd, I mean, for the most part, yes, but the application and consistent application, it's good to have somebody over your shoulder. It, it's it's going to save you perhaps quite a bit of time to have a good teacher to bounce the stuff off of. Absolutely. But I don't know. How many good theory teachers did I have? I'm not sure. <laughs> I, had a, I mean, I can easily count them. You know, it's like Rosanovich, Wilding, uh, Brown. I had, I, you know, I didn't, don't really think, no, I did have one that wasn't that good of a teacher, so to speak. But the other three, Wilding, Rosanovich, and uh, uh, why am I drawing a blank on the third? I just, Browning, uh, were, were great. Or Brownlow, that's what it was. Like they, they had a really good grip on everything. Or excellent yeah. teachers with that. And that's like in one sense, in terms of the theoretical stuff, I excelled at that without a problem, you know. Uh, but I also came in with like self, a lot of self-study theory. Like I sat there with the theoretical. Yeah. If you're interested, I mean, I was fascinated by it. So I, exactly. So it's like I guess I just wish I could have tested out of them, but they didn't let you do that. Yeah, they only let you test out of like the. This is a triad right. <laughs> type of thing. You know? Oh, good. You can start theory one. <laughs> yep. It's like, really? Um, so, and Not that I knew everything, but it's like, if you tell me what's on the syllabus, I could go look up what some of these things I didn't know were. Mm -hmm. You could learn them in a weekend or whatever. And you could ask somebody. I mean, you could take a lesson if you wanted to. Yep. But, Which uh, might be an interesting. Yeah, so they, were, they were talking about that on two set, too. It's like a lot of like theory and things like that. And history, those are things you can learn, like via YouTube, via you know all these free resources. So really, what are you getting out of college? So you're getting the lessons, which are we all agree extremely valuable. Mm -hmm. But Absolutely. you could just pay for lessons, right? and then you wouldn't um, have to take the other classes. <laughs> the other big thing you get is your network of peers, mm -hmm. right? And th and that's not to be understated. I mean, that's a not at all. I mean, you know, if if your buddy, your roommate, or whatever gets in the New York Philharmonic, your chances of getting the New York Philharmonic just went up. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, and that, I was just pointing like us. We met going to yeah, school. Right. So it's like you know you're gonna, and that's the advantage of the, that like cluster of like-minded individuals going to school for music is always great because I found it immensely inspiring. Like not that I didn't work hard, but being around other musicians that were working hard and were better than me and were or worse than me in the, in the sense of like they were all just aiming towards the same thing and yeah, putting it all. It's great. It puts your feet to the fire. You're like, I gotta get my shit together if I'm gonna do this. Otherwise, you know, this other guy is gonna blow by me because he's just working harder. That's sure. it. You know, and that uh, that was great. I, I absolutely love that. Yeah, I mean, and the it, competitive side is good, but I mean, I think still, it's like the neither your buddy too, right? Then yeah, exactly. So yeah. they have a gig they can't do. They and give you get the, the gig. Call. You know, when we had Brandon on here. His teacher was giving him gigs like left and right, right? Like that happens with your teachers too. So your network, that's, a, that's the other side. It's like, well, you could take lessons with all the best people you could think of. Um, was it, uh, I don't know if, do you know, Dave Liebman? No, he played with miles for a little bit. He's unbelievable sax player, right? Just, he's kind of like part of the real, like post cool train movement. 
and just unbelievable. But a guy named Vic Juris used to play guitar. Vic just passed oh, away or yeah, so. Vic's year. Yeah, Vic's he, amazing. Stunningly um, good. But it was like, say, say you wanted to play with Dave Lieben. How would you ever pull that off? Well, one way you could do it is start studying with Vic. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, become one of his students. Go to his shows. You know, like, you start network. It's like those networking things. Like, if you want to be in these certain scenes, if you want to get a Jason view gig or whatever, or you, you know, like you study with the guy, you know what I mean? Like if you want opportunities where he's like, I can't make this recording session, but I know one of my students, you know, or whatever, you know what I mean? It becomes these like networks. And you know, once you get out of college too, and you're, you're, they're no longer your professor or whatever, mm-hmm. like you become colleagues with your teachers and yeah, you share gigs and stuff. Colleagues. That's the way that it is. Um, yeah, it's just like we're all trying to help each other out. And it's just part of your network. Um, you, you've heard endless stories about this from everybody, right? Um, Pat Metheny got his thing with Gary Burton from, you know, from Berkeley. And it's like those connections are really important and they, they open doors for you. They're so, the most important. Right there, you can be an, an absolutely incredible musician, but if you don't have a personality where you're gelling with other people and making connections, you're not going to go far, right. not at all. I mean, there is some extent to to that. It's you got to be a people person, you know. Right. Uh, very few people are complete a holes and get any traction um, at all. You, that's usually if they are complete a holes. I'm going to venture to say that that's after they're quite successful. Like after they're successful, they can afford, they have the FU money and can be however they want. But, you know, in terms of working that spot, they're, they're definitely not going to have the same level of uh, put offness as beforehand. At least in, if I'm thinking, not just like talking, but the, um, yeah, so, so, so I wonder though, before I forget, as far as those network things, um, and then I'll let you get to your point, which is, do you think it takes four years to make that network? Or could you just go to Juilliard for a year and now you've made enough connections that it's worthwhile, for instance? Because a lot of people have gone to Berkeley for like a year, made tons of connections, and it's helped them have their work, you know, if they were good, especially if they were good. Like they realized they didn't really need to be there. And everybody found out, oh, that was the best guy in the class. He's no longer here, but he made enough, he turned enough heads or she turned enough heads that... Um, they start getting gigs and connections, right? Because they were the best kid or whatever. Do you need to go for f- four years or whatever to get that value we're talking about? I don't, I mean, does the degree matter? I think, you know, that's, that's a catch 22 because it's all a matter of who you're, you know, in one sense, if it's about connections, it's a matter of being in the right place at the right time with the right people, like, and getting that, that could happen on day one. Or it could happen on day 564. Sure. You know, just uh, so it's tough for me to be like, which one's going to be better? You know, to an extent, I think ultimately, if we disconnect it from the educational realm, being amongst a bunch of high level players and the people that have an extremely good work ethic towards music will help you make those connections. Like, there's no doubt about it. Like that, that's clearly it. I mean, I just had that experience when I was working on that soundtrack, you know, it, uh, it working with other high level players, it's all of a sudden and, and writers, it's like, boom, I'm connected to everything now. Yeah. 
I got a phone call the other day about somebody needing something for a survival horror game, <laughs> like right away. But it ended up being too close of a window where uh, he didn't have time to collaborate with it. He's like, yeah, they gave me 24 hours. So I, that was it. No, whatever. That, that's great. He's still a cool guy. I talk to him almost every day. Um, and uh, but that like that one thing turns into so much more because you just that environment does it. So yeah. I don't think it's necessarily school in the sense of just school outside of it is the like-minded musicians school just happens to be a spot where it's concentrated. Like, cause everybody that's going there has one particular thing in mind. I'm going to get friggin' good. You know, I, I need to get good. And finding that outside of that environment might be a little bit tr- tricky just because of the attitudes that can come with certain genres. You know, like you get some of your, no offense to the hardworking rock guys, but you get some of your, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll guys, and it's like they're not going to work as hard as the other kid that's in there that's going to be the next jazz great or the next, you know, wants to be. Well, maybe I'm not on the academic side. Yeah, Yeah, and and that's what I mean, like in terms of like drilling the stuff and and doing the work. And I'm not saying rock guys don't work hard. And I I know a a couple of them that are busting their ass constantly. Uh, But Goodbye to three fans that we had. Yeah, exactly. Damn it. Um, I'm trying to piss off everybody, though. So we're going to at least. We've got got the academics and the rock guys. The rock guys, you know, and those stupid jazzers sitting there doing their thing. Uh, and the classical I already knew that, though. So. Yeah, and the classical guys just sit in the practice room all the time and don't realize what quarantine is because it's like, oh, wait, I have to talk to people? What the hell is this? Uh, play with people? Yeah, with somebody else? Nah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, so there is that advantage with school being something where it's going to be a focal point with that. And I think that if you start doing local a lot of local gigs you're going to make those connections anyways uh because that's just you begin to get your reputation up there that's the biggest thing is you got to build your reputation through performing the the only problem with doing reputation through performing is you're gonna have a bad show at some point it's going to happen there's nobody that does it flawless and unfortunately those can be damaging to an extent you know if it's a, a a one time off it's like ah oh, shit i just blew that thing you know and then it's like well you know whatever shit that that yeah but even even the best of the best have bad nights oh yeah exactly that's that's kind of my point but and everybody knows that but it's still kind of annoying to have some things resting on a, a certain performance that you know whatever like your cat died before you walked out on stage or it just yeah, something sure. throws you off for the evening you know you, you have your left nostril is too plugged or whatever who knows but something can happen and that we practice enough so that those rarely happen but it still can happen like no matter how much time you put into it because unfortunately the human brain is a bastard at times and just screwed but i mean that still happens in college right so it's not like yeah it makes me so jazz is is so much more social just by nature than classical like jam sessions and yep. these kind of things happen, right? It's part of the culture. Oh, yeah. I remember going – what was that bar that we used to go oh, to? the North Side. Yeah, the North Side. We used to go to that – was it Monday nights where they had the – open- Tuesdays, yeah. Either way. Yeah, it was yeah like, but yeah, either way, yeah. Come and show up. Yeah, you show up and you play and then you build a community and it didn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter if you went to the school or not. A lot of people did. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the same – across the board no matter you know new york city wherever else so you have you have opportunities to network i guess what i'm I'm trying to get is you could still potentially bypass the college route 
mm-hmm. and make connections with people just via the jam sessions. Yep. Right. And then eventually jam session could turn into a gig and the gigs turn into more gigs. Right. That's, that's part of the networking. And actually you probably get more out of that than you would just going to class. Right. Like you need yeah. to, to play in jazz with other people to get gigs. It's just the way it is. Um, classical is different, right? There's not really, Oh, there's no jam sessions. That's it's, un- <laughs> it's sort of unfortunate. It, I, I agree. It, well, a jam session, maybe not so much, but wouldn't it be cool almost to have like a classical open mic sort of thing? I would love, and that's something that uh, so that was in the back of my head of getting started and then COVID hit and you yeah. know, kind of shut down. But now in my, in my local area where I'm at, there's a place that's a wine bar that serves everything. You know, yeah. that, I'm, that would be like the place to do like a classical night. Mm-hmm. And it, and I was thinking the same thing. It's like it'd be like a pseudo open mic in the sense that like you'd have a classical piece prepared and you'd come in and you'd play it. Whether yeah, it's- so whoever hosts it has to have three hours of material. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In case no one shows, but otherwise <laughs> you could open the door for people to do stuff. Yep. I, I, I mean, think I don't. I don't know. The hard thing with <laughs> the elitist hard thing with classical. <laughs> <laughs> is it like what level is acceptable or not? See, you know, would, is it, it how many f- versions of Fur Elise do you want to hear every night? You know, and a cheap Yamaha, yeah, keyboard thing. It's like, it's like, oh god. Well, I don't think it's the first a- movement of uh, Moonlight Sonata or something, right? Like the, the cello, the first cello suite, or whichever. You know, you how, get to- how often are you gonna like? Is that okay? Maybe it's okay. I don't like, think this it's necessarily a bad thing, but here's a, I'm going to interrupt for a quick second. I don't think if you did it right and you got connected with the local music schools, like, you know, University of Akron or Worcester. And here's a chance to perform your piece before your right there is something that classical students are desperate for, you know, right. besides being in the studio class and in the recital class, you know, where you're going to play, you might play in the recital class, or I'm sorry, you might play in the studio class, but that's more of a master class setting. And in the recital class, you're definitely going to play, but you're playing for your colleagues, you know, all seven to whatever of them. It's different to get into a place where you don't know anybody, you know, to an yeah. extent, you know, and you're performing it. And that's you know what, kind of... You know what really stinks is... It's something that's really ruined, and it's a totally different topic. It's completely ruined live music, which is age limit. Yeah. I mean, some of these places, it's like, we're a bar. We can't let 18-year-olds in to play. Yep. I think and not, even, not only 18-year-olds to play, but 18-year-olds to come watch. Yep. Like, there's probably nothing that's ruined musician livelihood worse than the decision <laughs> to make the drinking age or whatever the, 21 yeah we can, and, we can, and it's not even about the drink so much is that you don't even let kids under 21 come in to go to a show and, it, and it's that, ridiculous it's really ridiculous it is ridiculous and i that's it's everything i mean i get the bar owner's mentality because he's yeah, then they have to protect themselves against the law yes exactly right. And that's part of the issue. It's like, you know, it's the it, law, that's the problem. It's not the, the, the venues. Of course they want people there. Yeah. They're going to turn yeah. away like 18 year olds, even if they're just buying Coke or whatever. Yeah. yeah. If you charge $3 a Coke, you're going to make a killing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it's a, so, and that, the, um, 
What's the way to put it? Yeah, so they buy Coke and a burger and fries, and they spend fifteen dollars. Yeah, who's who's going to say no to that? They're not going to say no to that. Yep, and um, I can't see. I don't know what the margins are on it, but I, I mean, on Coke, no, it's yeah, probably- I mean, but still, you, now instead of having twenty people show up, you have a hundred yeah. people show up. Yep. Yep. Absolutely, and I completely agree with you on that one. Like hands down. Like, and who it, has time to go to gigs and stuff? Mm-hmm. College kids, right? Like that's they want something to do at night. Yep. Um, where most people, you know, once you're working, it's like, oh, Thursday night, I'm not going to go out. Yeah. Like a college yeah. kid's like, well, my first class is until 1030 tomorrow. I'll stay yep. out. Went out till four. I can sleep till nine yeah. and make it to the class. And, and I mean, that's totally how it used to be, right? That's how, as soon as they changed those rules, it really screwed everything. So anyway, I was thinking like your wine thing. It's like, well, that maybe that works, except the winery is probably like, we can't have anyone under the age of 21 here. Yeah. Which Especially little- in the audience. Maybe you get away with some, because I don't. I mean, like, really, I don't think even when I was younger you could be young. But I definitely get gigs as like a sixteen-year-old, mm. you know, in twenty-one and older places. Yeah, the, I didn't do anything in twenty-one. But and it was older. more like when you're not playing, you got to go outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. So, um, like, my most of my stuff was just coffee shops and places like that. Uh, yeah. Nothing that. Where it was restricted. By the time it actually got to where I was playing in restricted places, I was over age anyway, so it didn't really matter. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of like what's? I just don't get it at all. It's just so dumb. It it is. I don't see like I I would say that their argument for like brain development in terms of underage drinking, quote unquote, is somewhat there, but they lose it in the sense of like it doesn't stop developing till twenty eight. So if we're going to use the science, make the drinking age twenty eight. But don't come at me right. and. It's like for that, you know, I, I don't get, the, I get it the, doesn't even matter. Whatever the drinking age is, just don't sell them alcohol. If you get caught selling alcohol to 16 year olds, then you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. Or you could do it this way. You know, if you really want to make it so that the, the bar doesn't have an issue, if the 16 year old get caught with the alcohol, have it be on them instead of the guy that they uh, lied right. to with the ID. I mean, you, you know? can go to Chipotle and they have margaritas and beer. Mm-hmm. And you can be 15 and walk in there. But that goes with every restaurant, though. But that's what I mean. Like, why can you do that but not go to a bar? Uh, that's a good question. Is it a bar and restaurant? Because, you know, you got, like, the Winking Lizard, which uh, you can sit on the the Winking side with their family, and it doesn't matter. Right. But if you're going to go to the Lizardville side, you got to be 21. It's, a, it's like the which, dumbest... I can literally just see. I can go to that side. It's like the uh, remember when everybody smoked, and it's yeah. like, oh, that's the non-smoking section. It's the smoking section, and there's <laughs> like you're sitting back to back with the smoking section, <laughs> and there's a yep. visible wall between you. Oh yeah, yep. really? Okay, I guess this isn't. There's no smoking over here. Got it. <laughs> Got it. We're we're safe. Yeah, it doesn't leak <laughs> over at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't um, get. I mean, it's just. If they changed that rule, it would it would empower the music industry more than anything that anyone else could do, I think. Yeah, and I think they should change that rule. But that's just the way that I'm wired. We're so. <laughs> join Wood, Air, and Metal as we fight bureaucracy. Lower, lower the drinking age to do you have a pulse? I don't even care about the drinking age. Just let people go to places and, and just enforce that they can't sell. I mean, it's still against the law to sell it. Mm-hmm. Kids can walk into convenience stores with their cigarettes. 
Don't sell them yeah. cigarettes. If you sell them cigarettes, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to lose your license. You can't sell stuff anymore. That, that, but that's also the, the reason why they don't let them into a bar in that particular... Like, that kind of kills that whole thing of, like, letting them in because that, as an owner, it's like, that's a freaking huge risk. I'm going to lose everything because there's a potential to let some kids in. It, that doesn't balance out. Like, Well, uh, you just... You just yeah, but that would have been true when the drinking age was 18, too. But that's my point. It's like any single time that you run into something where it's that person is going to lose everything that they worked for. If somebody breaks that law, they're going to default to not even getting close to that. Like we are go- yeah, like, if, maybe don't walk close to the building, you know, which because if I'm making, you know, a decent living at owning a business and there's a particular law that says don't sell to certain ages, and that would make me lose my chief thing of income. I'm going to do whatever I can to but make that, sure that that's true today too, though. I mean, yeah, that's uh, that's exactly my point. It's that's what's yeah, going but why on. Why is that any different? Like, <laughs> we are way off topic. I know. It's like, well, how can you? You you've told them they can't come into the restaurant because they're not a certain age. Okay. Well, you could say, sorry, you can have Coke, but you can't have a beer. And, I, dude, I'm not fighting you because I disagree. Yeah. I completely agree. I'm just saying that I just get it from the business owner's perspective. It's like, that's like, I ain't touching yeah. that. Yeah, I, I, I'm exaggerating still. Like, you yeah. lose everything and you have to go to jail or whatever. I, I'm just saying that the law is still there regardless. It's not like the law changes because you let people sit in the room. Just don't stop. Why have an age limit on people that can, you know, maybe you could say, hey, six, anybody under 16 shouldn't be out past 10, 30, or I don't know, whatever your time is without someone over 18 with them or something. I don't, but that also goes with the whole, like, you know, how late do shows start? That's the other, that's another big problem with most bars. You know, it's, it's shows start so late in the evening. Well, you know, they like, start, they're starting earlier now, but yeah, they used, especially used to. Oh yeah. It, it used to be absolutely obscene how late the, the, the concert. You know, it's see- funny. I did a gig a year and a half, two years ago. I don't know, maybe it was longer, but yeah, it was like, it was a four hour gig and it was the first time in a long time. It was a four hours from like 1030 to 230 in the morning. What? And I was like, been a long time since I did one of those. I don't even know those still existed. And they're like, basically every other place in town closes at one. So one o'clock in the morning, it gets packed in there. And it really, no. it really did get, it was the busiest time of the night was at one o'clock. Hey, cool. And it was, which was about the time we were all about ready to fall asleep. So that was good. <laughs> like, Oh, those people. Hey, what do you know? Yep, exactly. Oh, well, that works. That works. So, anyways, um, yeah, back to school. Yeah, back to the school topic. We were kind of around it, talking about bars and kids getting out of school and going to late shows and whatever. We were trying to solve uh, classical's social anxiety. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like I think a classical open mic would work. Well, depending on if you could get the draw from the music schools in the area, like anywhere within a half hour would be like easy. But on your point of you can't have anybody under 21 come into the place, that kills freshmen, 
sophomores and juniors. Yeah. Like that, that they're not going to buy They can't get in. So why would they show? So you're going to lose that thing. And the next thing you know, you get like your, uh, whatever else. <laughs> yeah. and, and not that that's a bad thing. You know, whatever else is better than nothing else. So, um, the, uh, the problem is, is that, you know, if you want to build it into the reputation of the place to hang out with all the s- school students, you got to be able to let them in the door. Yeah. So, I don't know. We'll have to. I mean, you could always do it somewhere else, right? A library or a coffee shop or whatever that else. Kills that kills your your time constraints a little bit. It makes it much earlier and weird. And not that it has to be late. I know I just complained about that, but like you know, if you started your if it doesn't uh, start at like ten thirty at night, is it really yeah. a gig? Yeah. <laughs> True. Uh, but, you know, if you started at like seven, you know, on a, on a Tuesday or something like that, and it went from seven to 10, you know, that, that would still be reasonable, I think. Uh, plus, a Tuesday is generally a slow day. So it's encouraging everybody that wants to play to show up and have a drink yeah. or, or have a Coke or whatever and sit down and watch some people play for at least for seven different interpretations or whatever. Um, yeah. But the, the Back to the quintessential thing of the schooling, you know, it's like, I think to an extent, the idea of an advanced degree in music, and I'm talking as somebody that has one, you know, it's like, that's great. But the way that it's done at a collegiate level is just as inefficient as possible in terms of really being able to laser focus on stuff and so on. It's just like, this is kind of, it's slogging along because that's the way it's slogged along yeah. for however many years. Um, in terms of like, you know, you, you look back at the old school universities, the one, the payments went directly to the teachers. Like by old school, I'm talking like 15th, 16th century. So if you went to college, you were paying that professor who's up in front of you for every single class. And if the professor sucked, they didn't stick around long because there was no tenure. So nobody would just go and would not pay them, at which point they would not be a professor anymore, which is kind of a good way of like self-weeding stuff out. And I get the the benefits of the tenure stuff in the research field are obviously huge, but uh, so I get that point. But the underlying thing of grabbing into the classes and directly paying the professor is exactly what a lesson type of thing is yeah. you know if you especially if you don't have the umbrella of, of a music school you're literally getting one-on-one instruction from some type of a guru type of thing like how they do it uh in the classical indian music where like before like the almost i think before the 20th 21st century it was guru handing it down from father to son or whatever right. Like, I still uh, think it's the guru system out there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what the heck is it? the Indian sitar player? Why am I forgetting his name? Ravi Shankar. Yeah, Shankar like taught his daughter, and she's freaking incredible. So, right. uh, and you know, I don't know if she's had any children or whatever to to go on to the next one, but um, you know, that type of thing is like the opposite end of what we're going for because that's too constrictive. Like. And, and goes like, there's absolutely no opportunity. If you're interested in it, you can't touch it. Um, so y- you have to find this. It's creating a system that allows for individual interaction with the teacher, creates an environment where other like-minded people get in there, which are so far I'm like checking off what a school does, but also doesn't waste the time and effort on things that aren't necessarily for the skill set that you're going for. Like, 
I don't see the point of taking advanced English classes at a collegiate level when you're majoring in music or majoring in like, you know, mathematics. It's like, well, th- you're focused on this particular thing. Why are you taking these other particular classes? And I, I understand the idea of like university, in other words, trying to get a universal outlook, but you just did that in high school. And honestly, the the AP classes in high school are, are at the college level anyways, you know, so unless sure. you're going to major in English, it's a stupid, stupid idea. You know, yeah, I mean, the, the whole idea that all these degrees in these different fields all take the same amount of time. Yeah, that and just, whatsoever. It's, it's just obvious. It's, it's obvious that universities are not about education. To an extent, absolutely. I, you know, I, it's, I, yeah. It's not about, or let's just say it's not about, I don't want to say perfecting, but like trying to be the best educators it's a business first mm-hmm. and it, it's just it's ridiculous that certain degrees take this it, like some degrees you could probably finish in six months you know? <laughs> and there's other ones that take more than four years oh it's like right now because they're wife- so difficult there's the, the level of difficulty is they're not yeah. comparable you cannot yeah. say these are the same kind of. They just don't weigh the same. They just don't. No, and, not uh, at all. And I don't even think anyone disagrees with that. It's just like, and it doesn't mean the one's more valuable or anything. This has nothing to do with value. Yeah, this has yep. to do with just complexity and the expectations of a certain field. This is not not value because you could take a class this weekend that might be way more valuable than anything you ever learned in college that you watched on YouTube. You know, just for your thing, whatever your field is, it, it could be exactly. the most valuable thing you ever did. So it, it has nothing to do with value. It just has to do with not everything's equal. Not everything's four years and 160 credits or whatever it is. It just doesn't even make sense. The, if your goal is education, your goal is to be, I want to make the smartest engineers – musicians, the best artists, whatever, um, business people, you, if that was really the goal, I feel like the whole thing would be rearranged in a totally different way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a, it's the whole question of, uh, like basic economics of being like, what are you incentivizing? Yeah. And when you're incentivizing university, like in it, and Oh, okay. I'll go down the, the the rabbit trail for a second. But when you incentivize universities to make more money via government-backed loans, they're gonna go. Well, shit. Let's let's expand this program out, baby. You know, it's like boom. You, know? so you have to do a co-op in this program now. And by the way, you have to pay full price during that semester. Yep. Exactly. But that's exactly what happens. Yeah. You know totally. because. They're not. If they are being run as a business, which I agree with you that they are, then it's in their best interest to make as much as they can from that. And the problem is, is they're competing with School X over there. That they, the School Y is going to be like, we're going to try and take the moral high ground and not do this. Well, School X is like, screw the moral high ground, give me the money, and then you're screwed because they're going to siphon off everything from you. So you have to kind of be like. Well, damn it, I got to do and compromise on that thing. And that's the only way that we're going to stay afloat. Again, it comes down to I need to eat. Yeah, it's funny. And- like the – if we looked in like game theory, I was just thinking about like the competing like gas station thing. Yeah. And why they don't undercut each other. 
It's the same mm-hmm. reason that colleges don't, right? They're, yeah. Neither of them win. You know, the yep. one could say, well, you know, I could get all the customers today if I went to 87 cents instead of a dollar fifty. You know, I'd, still, I'd make three cents a gallon now instead of 50 cents, but they wouldn't make any. But then you both lose. So, like, the colleges yeah. are all like, well, they just bumped their tuition 15%. We could probably get away with 12% and no one's even going to blink an eye. And that's what happens with businesses across the board. Somebody somebody is the asshole first and raises their prices and then everybody else is like, oh, look at those jerks. Okay, let's do it. They, they took the flack. Let's go. Come I on. think the way that the, the college tuitions kicked off was Georgetown like, bumped, like doubled their tuition cost or something into an insane amount, right? And everyone was like, why would they do that? Like, no one's going to go there. But instead, what happened is people said, well, if they cost that much, it must be more prestigious. Mm-hmm. And so then they got record like people trying to get in there. And every college was like, wait a second. So, yeah, <laughs> they just doubled their tuition. And like, they got more applicants and they became more prestigious just by costing more. It's like, Oh, which purse is nicer? Well, that one costs a thousand dollars, and that one costs fifty dollars. So obviously, the thousand dollar one is better. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it's it's totally that kind of thing. It's the, yeah. It's the uh, what? What is it? The it's the spectacle. It's yeah, to an extent, you know, this kind of all wraps around. I was just thinking, it's like uh, he would be great to have on right now because he's a college professor as yeah, well. Right. So he would have some things to chime in with. And it would be interesting to see, like, because he clearly, I, I'm, I'm guessing he had a tenured position and everything else when he was in, in teaching at the college. Um, so he'll have a little bit more of the inner workings kind of laid out and stuff like that. Uh, me and my lowly adjunct position is not the same. You're a musician and you can't get a tenure, huh? Uh, at least so far no but you never know you know i'm gonna be nice and uh, i do love where i teach and the difference though is that where i teach is a um liberal arts college so they're designed to be in every single field like you'll pick your but you're gonna have like course tracks through every subject matter that and including your major so it's it's got a lot (laughs) we just established (laughs) this is wrong I'll give you. I'll grant you that at somewhere else. But when you're signing up for a liberal art, liberal arts college, that's ex- you go in knowing that that's what they're designed for and what they do in particular. Like most of the students that are going there are, are going right to an advanced degree in their particular field right after that. Like they're just getting the groundwork done, and it's obviously it's a prestigious place. But you know, I I I'll defend my college exactly like that and saying well, of that. Of course, they're different. <laughs> I didn't say they were that different. I'm just saying that they have the liberal arts name before yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're, that's why they're like, if you're going there, you're going to hit, you know, your, your every single thread of uh, educational possibility, sure. math and you whatever. You probably else. need some more of that on your speech. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I think it, it's I late. You. Uh, <laughs> I haven't been drinking that much. What are you I've, doing to me? <laughs> <laughs> you jackass you're gonna you're gonna end this whole episode with that as well you're gonna start it and then throw it at the end and that'll be it he's like crying laughing and i'm like i know he's screwing with my voice i know it i just know it 
Oh man, <laughs> that was classic though. That was, that's good. This is good. watch this be the most popular episode because it's it's like the Adam mm. sounds incredible shrinking man. Who <laughs> knew? Oh, Who no. knew? Oh, no. Help me! Help <laughs> me! Like the fly or whatever. Oh, it's funny, like, what's funny is I'll probably put it on YouTube and YouTube will fix it. Be like, oh, that's ninety six k. Cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, damn it. That's that's like no fun. So you like, what, are, buddy, what are you doing to me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just this episode got really awkward right in the beginning. <laughs> it's like he's being attacked by some gnome in his house or whatever. Uh, so information with the Juilliard fiasco and the rabbit holes of college and everything else. In essence, is music school worth it? How about how about this thought experiment? Um, to end us up, if either your kids get into music, will you recommend college? Probably not. No, I would be like, find the professor, sign up for lessons. And I mean, and granted in my position, I'd be like, I'll help you with all the theoretical stuff and so on. You know, but if you're going for piano, you don't want lessons on piano from me. Uh, but I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. I would be like, yeah, I mean, get- I guess presumably by the time they were 18, let's just say they're good, right? They're, yeah. They've already got whatever they can deal with from you, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> which isn't going to be that much, right? Because it's hard to learn from your parents. It, that's um, a thing. Yeah, for sure. And whatever instrument doesn't even matter. Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, I feel the same way. I just, it'd be really hard for me to recommend unless of course they got like a full ride to Curtis exactly. or something, right? Exactly. <laughs> or exactly. full ride anywhere. Then you yep. might say, okay, I could see, or that's valuable, especially if I'm the right teacher. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's hard to, to imagine recommending it. Yeah. I would say I would do exactly what I said. I'd be like, find the teacher get onto a private studio with them. Cause everybody, every, every college teacher has a private studio. That's just the way that it is. Um, so, and just do it that well, way. And you, you don't even have to stay with that person. Just go for them yeah. for a year, then move to some other city, go study with that person for a year. Yep. You know, you could, you could switch it up, uh, make connections, go to gigs, all that stuff. We'll pay for, you know, we even, you know, as a parent give you money to help you do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, <laughs> that was one of the things that uh, a friend of mine said. He's like, you know, I don't think anybody should study with a particular teacher for more than a year or two. Yeah. At that point, you need to get from somebody else, which is funny because I studied with Steve for like 10. So it's like... <laughs> there's probably uh, advantages to both, right? Yeah. And for exactly. things. Maybe that's another discussion we can have for another time. Yeah. But, but I think that variety in terms of getting under different people would be hugely advantageous. Sure. You know, um, well, I mean, you could even have multiple teachers... Right. Maybe you have a teacher, let's just say it's guitar. You're studying classical guitar. So you have a classical guitar teacher. Maybe you also have an ear training teacher. Maybe you have a composition teacher. Mm -hmm. You could have all these things. They're not, they're going to work together with your ultimate, you know, end game, whatever that ends up being. So these are all beneficial. It doesn't have to be, and it will be significantly cheaper than college. Yes, and, and I believe wholeheartedly that you're probably going to be a better musician at the end of that in four years than you would have gone to college. That's an iffy one for me, but I'm leaning towards a yes on that. 
Well, and I'm I'm also suggesting that you would, you know, part of it's like you need to gig as much as possible. Yeah, that right there would be hugely, and that was like that's the other thing, you know, in music school, they never touch on music business. Yeah. Like how to get gigs, how to maintain gigs, how to present yourself, how to, you know, network, how to sign up, when to turn away from a contract and how to write a contract. You know, like all these things that when you get out the door, it's like, okay, I'm going to be a musician now. It's like, what the hell do I do? And you have to learn that. Well, but a lot of, I mean, it's because a lot of college, this is a problem with music college too, is there's so many music teachers that have never played gigs. I'm sorry, playing a concert at a college is not a gig. I mean, it is. But like, if you're doing it, well, but I mean, if you're doing it as part of your degree, like, oh yeah, I did my PhD recital. Oh like, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, like that, that doesn't that doesn't count. Like you did that was that was given to you. You didn't have to go work for it. Now that was required. That's yeah, that was a requirement. Like yeah, that's, that's not that's a totally different kind of thing. Oh yeah, you played for your studio class. Sorry, that's that's not a you know doing ensembles and stuff all valuable experiences, but there's so many college music professors that's only performance experience is in those kind of settings and, or like as part of like a community orchestra or something like that, like where they're, yes, they had to audition to get in the orchestra, but they didn't, they're not like paying gigs and like the, the levels maybe however high it is, you you know, if you're a good musician, you're going to get in. Um, it's not like trying to like hustle to get gigs and like this, the whole thing that it takes to, to meet people and interact and all all those things. So I think that a big reason that doesn't happen in a lot of colleges is just that the people that teach there don't have experience doing it. It's the same problem with engineering. Um, cause I did my engineering degree too, is so many of the professors never actually were engineers, <laughs> right? They went straight through, got their PhD did they ever work in any field in engineering? No. Do they actually know anything about engineering? They know what they read in a book. They know what they did research on. Is that the same thing as actually doing the job? I there's there's a really bit, that's another huge problem with education in universities is that we instead of uh, valuing experience and excellence, we value degrees more yeah you know how many musicians do you know that are incredible like do they really need to go get their phd to go teach at a like they shouldn't have to yeah but they'll say oh sorry you don't have your master's degree or you don't have your phd you have to have at least a phd to teach here it's like yeah but this guy or this girl is one of the greatest blah 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 in the world and this person's played three concerts (laughs) for their PhD, like this person's put out 20 albums toward the world, blah, blah, blah. This person wrote a nice paper. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, but who's going to get the gig? Who's going to get the teaching job? This one has the piece of paper. Yeah. I'm, I'm being a little bit harsh on this, but either way, but it's kind of like what it should be obvious that the person who doesn't have a degree or whatever, if if they're especially in music and art, like they shouldn't have to. You want to have the best people, have the best experiences that can give your students the the best opportunities, not the one that just filled out the right paperwork and maybe had parents that had pockets. 
(laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, there's there's gotta be that component to it. You know, I think that that's where any type of school fails is in pushing towards the experience aspect of things. I, I watched an interesting interview the other day where some guy was like, I think that education should stop after eighth grade. He's like, after eighth grade, after that, let them pursue their passions. And I'm just like, that's actually pretty good idea because you've, and this is the, the, kind yeah, of the conundrum. No, with yes and no, but go continue. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let me finish the thought. And I, I get the, the yes and no with it. But my point is that if, say that they're hugely into math and engineering, and that's all that they want to do. So after eighth grade, they go, all right, I'm just going to get into this math and engineering thing. They get in under uh, an apprentice, not apprenticeship, uh, come on, internship or whatever, at some engineering thing, working under a guy doing engineering and learning about it at the same time. And I'm not denying the, the need for a, somewhat of a formal education in that. But the focus of that particular four-year stint, he's going to be light years ahead of anybody else that's doing like a, a, a typical high school track and then gets into the thing later. And that's yeah. one of the things that happens also with music school. And I just had this happen, um, or not happen, but I was talking about it with the, that composer friend of mine from the game, is that like he's went to school and ended up not getting kicked out, but lost everything scholarship-wise and so on due to a sickness. And so he stopped and he never got his degree. And he's just been doing music on the side ever since. And he's been massively successful. Like he's been doing it for 10 years versus this, this other guy that we were working with that uh, is still getting his next degree yeah. and, and stuck into that. And I'm like, well, the guy that didn't go to school and has the experience under his belt has had like he's signed. He's putting out music all the time. People are calling him all the time to get different tracks and everything else because yeah. he learned so much in his field. He's going to he's set with that, you know, and whereas every college guy, my, I'm putting myself in this camp as well, walks out with a degree expecting the world to be like, OK, I have a degree. Now, where's my money? And th- that's not the way it works in that particular field. And almost to an extent in almost any field it doesn't necessarily work that way yeah. right out the gate. So. I think that this uh, false, how do I want to describe it? It's a social construct that is forcibly applied, but not forced in statements. Like in the sense of that, like the degree, the idea of college as being like the next step is just... It, it's socially conditioned that, oh, yeah, I go to school, I go to college, I get the degree, I get the job, and that's that. You know, And to ignore that particular social pressure, it, it makes you seem like a, a loser. But it's like I know trade guys that are rolling in cash and have no yeah. college debt whatsoever, and they're sure. laughing at everybody else for good reason. And they should be laughing because it's like they told me no, and I did the opposite of what they said, and now I am set. And you're struggling to make your student loan payments, you know, because you went into whatever field that you went into. Um, I think that that uh, is one of the things that we should look at in terms of with music and some other things, because that'll kind of open it up and allow you to get the experiential things that you need to be successful in music. Because you could be talented as hell, 
But if you don't have any experience playing out in front of people or whichever, it, it just doesn't matter. Like, who gives a shit? Great, you're playing your violin in your room. And I mean, unless you want to do like a Twitch stardom thing of playing your, your violin, which could happen, who knows? Um, it's not going to go anywhere. So you need to get the experience before the schooling in that regard. And honestly, you know, it's like one of the big pieces of advice that uh, Steve shouted at me in a loving way. Like, he wasn't screaming at me because I was making mistakes or whatever that day but he's like never let school get in the way of your education which yeah. is a, a brilliant it, it's like wow yeah of course you know it's like uh and i've kind of taken that tact with my kids much to my wife's chagrin at times i'm just like i just let them do it who, whatever oh no they're they're gonna miss a day of first grade <gasps> who cares you know yeah my god i mean it's not that important you know um and before we start talking about I'm going to ignore that rabbit hole. I'm going to stop myself from going down that hole. What's the point of school and kindergarten anyway? Let's stop with that and let's just focus on where we're at with the music school. So I think that, you know, if I looked back when I was in high school, that's when I started playing guitar and reading like a fish. And that's, those are the two, or however fish read, reading like crazy. So, um, and those are the two things that I still consistently do. You know, my career is in guitar and I read like crazy. Like we were just talking, yeah. you were talking about how Loki was great and I will check it out, but I'm just like, dude, I just ordered four more books that I want to finish. And I just finished one of them and I'm about to start the next one. Um, I'm still debating on which one to take, but, uh, and that's just like the way that I'm wired. But I, if I had that eight hours of my life back, from high school in terms of being able to do guitar and reading. Oh my God. I mean, by the time I, those four years were up, I can't imagine what level of a player I would have been. So sure. especially since I would do literally, I would walk in the door from school and grab my guitar and that would be it. Yeah, for the right. be no, it's the same. Yeah. I guess the reason I, I'm like that, that I struggle with that actually working is that um, depending on your, financial situation it it really it gives even bigger advantage to people with money yeah, <laughs> it's I, like if you're from a poor neighborhood and your family's poor and now eighth grade and school's over i'm sorry you're not going to get to go like shadow somebody at an engineering firm like you're going to go get a job and you're going to have you're going to get stuck in this this hole you know what i mean and it's it's really gonna that one of the protections of the school system is that it kind of gives kids a chance to like stay kids for a little bit longer before they have to fight that and, and maybe give themselves a little bit more time to get some opportunities. But I don't know if that's gonna necessarily turn out that way. I, I would argue that you're just giving them four more years in the same thing of being a kid, and then they're coming out in the same situation, whereas another kid that decided to not do that, potentially, would have that much more experience. Because, I mean, I know a guy that started his business when he was 16 in his... I mean, I don't disagree with the notion. Oh. The only I would just say you'd have to make it so it's fair for everyone. Well, the, 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 unfortunately, life is never fair. I know, but, that, you, but you know what I mean? Like... It, as level as a playing it could field. Be much, yeah, make it as level as you can. You're also asking, I mean, potentially for companies to take on a lot of responsibility to bring in young people. Yeah. Um, which they don't even like doing that with college students most of the time. Yeah. No, you're it's, right. It's just like, 
you, know, you can't always find work for people to do, and it's like you already have a lot of work to do. And Julian Leish, you know, like I, I don't know what his parental situation was. They clearly had some money if the kid's taking lessons with Pat uh, Matheny. <laughs> you, you're gonna have some bucks to be able to throw at that, no doubt. But yeah. like he was basically doing nothing but music. Sure, like that's it, and. Boom. I mean, now clearly he had the yeah. work that he had the drive, he had the parental support. Yeah, the, the every every quote unquote advantage to him, and I don't begrudge him that because I, one, I love the music, and you don't get to that level without having a huge amount of drive. Plus, sure. the other thing too is he had surgery on his hands because he over practiced, like sure. he, he did some things that where he screwed up his hands. So it's like the guy's got the drive to it. So I'm glad that he had the whole package behind it. Um, and I, I think to to an extent, it's there's a great amount to be said of if they're constantly working, you're going to get some modicum of success. Like I'm by no means rich, but I'm absolutely happy and content with where I'm at in terms of that. And it's, I still, I, I work like crazy and sometimes it drives uh, uh, Julie a little bit batty because I'll have a gig for X amount of money, but I'll have to put in such a big amount of time beforehand. And then, but it always tends to balance out. It's like, there'll be one gig where it's like, I, I was stupid and I undercharged because I, I got scared of not bringing in a decent yeah. amount of money. But then the, the the reverse happens, and all of a sudden this other gig drops in my lap that's super easy, and I'm, I don't even have to really look at the music before I show up to the show, you know, and sure. make the money and leave. And so it's just the way that it goes. Uh, the bottom line is, is you got to make yourself available to it, like fundamentally. And the only sure. way to do that is constantly practicing, like constantly practicing. You don't get the option of, oh, I'm going to take these three weeks off and then do this show. It's like, nope. <laughs> not if you're going to do it well. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, but ultimately I think we've come to the conclusion that music school, there's some things that are potentially good about it, but it's looking, especially as the prices get absolutely astronomical, it's looking that the value is more in the teacher student relationship, one-on-one -on -one in private lessons and getting into a group of people that are also as driven as you are. Sure. And, surrounding yourself with that in order to get to the next level of playing. And that's where the real education kind of can come in. And that I think, I, I think to an extent that if the music and art fields academically started focusing and heading that direction, you'd see other people kind of start to fall in line with that as well. Cause I think the results would speak for themselves. You know, if this uh, 14 year old kid is taking lessons, you know, well, just look at the, the kid that I was talking about, you know, he was taking lessons with Steve once a week, paying out of pocket, and boom, the results spoke for yeah, themselves. Sure. So it's Definitely. like there, there's your kind of a anecdotal evidence, but it's it's still there. Um, so I I was looking up. I wasn't just rudely looking at my phone. I was looking oh, something up, which was so. Is it worth going to Juilliard for seventy eight thousand or whatever dollars a year? Yeah. So which equals what? Um, at least three hundred thousand dollars total. For four years, presuming you finish in four years, um, the average music salary is about forty thousand a year. <laughs> and yep. by the way, that's that's like I we can go into this one day. If you teach music, I'm sorry, your job is not a musician. Your job is a teacher. Yeah, and I don't think that the I, money I, you make as a teacher of music should go into this salary calculation, but I'm sure it does. Oh yeah. So, um, I think it's sort of an unfair, so that's not saying you're making $36,000 a year 
whatever it says for uh performing and selling your music that's a combination of all the things you're doing right yes um and one of those is teaching so it's probably the most likely thing you're doing yeah and i i can completely agree with that because i hate i hate that that's in there all the time it it gives a false sense of something but uh, i guess my point is you know you figure what's your rent and all these kind of things you make 40 grand a year I'm three hundred thousand dollars students loans would probably cost if you paid it over thirty years would probably cost about three to four grand a month over thirty years. Um so you making thirty nine thousand what is that? Yeah, that's your, so that's what you're making before taxes, you're making what, four grand a month? Yep. So then uh, after taxes you're making maybe three grand a month not even probably and uh you know you have your all your other rent so will you ever be able to afford that juilliard obviously not Not, like not even close is not even in the realm of possibility so in no shape or form is it worth going there to pay that much money and because what are you going to come out and do so for thirty years, you're gonna to have to pay three to four thousand dollars at least a month just to pay that off. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, who wants to do that? Not me. <laughs> Even if you were making a hundred grand a year or two hundred grand a year, you still have three thousand dollars a month. Yeah. So if you made 120 grand a year, that's 10 grand a month, but you really only make about six grand after taxes. That goes to your student loan. And and more than half of that would go to student loans for the the next 30 years. And you wanted to pay it in 10 years, you're probably paying more like five, five to six grand. If not more, like you'd be, and that's if you're living in a van down by the river, (laughs) like basically, even if you you made a hundred thousand dollars, like to pay that off, it's just not even reasonable. Juilliard, mm-hmm. get your head out of your butt. You should cost <laughs> a tenth the amount that you cost. Oh, there's a really easy way to have that happen is for people to just not go. Yeah. <laughs> like if the Juilliard jacked it up that much, it's like, you know what? I'm just not going. Yeah, music <laughs> colleges that cost more than like 15 grand a year. Shut up, you're drunk, right? <laughs> like, come on. Nobody's Go ever going to be able to afford that. And then if you're, you're just being like, it's immoral and unethical and all kinds of things. Anyway. No, I get it. I get it. So, no, I, and, and I agree. It's, uh, again, it comes down to what are you, um, what's the way to put it? What are you incentivizing? If you're incentivizing the school to charge that much and still rake it in, then that's exactly what they're going to do. But if you incentivize them with through however you would, like, you know, half of me is like, if you got rid of the government-backed loans, you'd see the upper school's tuition plummet overnight. Sure. With, whoop, that would dry up because it, there's just – What's the way to put it? The banks would pull out because they're not guaranteed and they're not stupid about throwing an 18-year-old kid into that much debt with no absolute guarantee to get the money because 
it's what it's like 25 percent of loans student loans are defaulted on or whatever the number is it's also like 50 percent it's high yeah it's ridiculously high and, and that can't last forever that's clearly going to go poop yeah the, the society is going to break eventually because of it unless they wipe it out but, or something who knows yeah. do something smart like oh just make it zero percent interest or whatever yeah. make it that's the other thing. It's five percent interest or something. Make it. They keep, they keep these interest rates up to where they're at, and then when you have that much, it's like you're not even touching the principal. No. All you're doing is paying the interest with that, and yeah. that's part of the problem. It's like if you wanted to keep it completely fair, or or not even fair, but completely just plain old human decency, it'd be like, especially if it's government backed, right. Especially then. It should be like zero interest on it whatsoever. You're going right. to get your money. And that's it. And then you can actually pay it off and you're like, okay, you know, great. I think anyone, most people would agree with that too. It's like, you know, and it's funny is you can't get the like 2% rate because they'll say, well, you have too much student loans. <laughs> so, you've never had any problems paying any of your stuff, but you have $150,000 in student loans. So according to our calculations, we have to keep you at 9%. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Like what? Like, yeah. Congratulations. You have no credit history. So you're going to pay out the ass for yeah. credit. Well, even if you have credit history, you still have too much student loans. Yeah. Yep. And there's <laughs> that. All right. It's no, broken. The whole it's thing's a- broken. College is broken. The U.S. is broken. The laws about 18-year-olds are broken. <laughs> Adam's <laughs> voice is broken. That's because because your computer is broken. That's all. (laughs) But all right. Well, on that note, I think we've ranted everyone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, We've ranted enough and solved no problems. So there we go. Good place to stop. Alvita Zan, we're heading to Germany next. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We'll see you all in a couple of weeks as vacations go on. (laughs) Bye. Bye. What is going on? All right, I'm talking, I'm talking. I got to tell you, you're <laughs> leaned out the butt with whatever you're doing to me.